Welcome to today's Boss to Boss podcast. In our interviews, we feature remarkable people doing remarkable things from the world of B2B. Today, we're joined by sales legend, John Maffioli. As the youngest ever BD director at EY, John was the first person within BD to get on the firm's prestigious accelerated leadership program. However, he then caught the entrepreneurial bug and launched two content platforms, Click and Phoebe, through which he now interviews the UK's greatest business leaders and entrepreneurs. I've known John for many years, and he is quite simply one of the most charming bastards in business. So I've been really looking forward to this. Some of the themes we're going to talk about today include how sales has evolved in recent years for B2B and professional service organizations, what to look for in a great BD person, and why cold calling is far from dead. We'll also be competing for the most embarrassing moment in pitches and presentations. I'm pretty sure I win, but you'll have to be the judge. John, thank you so much for joining us. I'd love if we could just kick off with perhaps you giving a little overview about what it is that, that Click and Phoebe do, because quite unusual business models, big overlap between the two, but I know uh, they're also quite distinct in themselves. So if you could just give us a, a bit of an introduction to those two brands, that'd be fabulous. Sure. Well, thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. Really nice to uh, be chatting with you. And, you know, I, I've been seeing the videos that you've been doing, uh, which I've seen on LinkedIn, which are absolutely awesome. I find myself sometimes crying with laughter at some of the very frank, abrupt ways that you say stuff. So I thought this would be a really fun podcast to do. So so I don't know if I can be as entertaining as you, but I'll give it a go. But um, in answer to that, then, Click and Phoebe, they're content platforms in, in a nutshell. Click has been going some time now, initially very much focused on professionals. And then we started to increase the content into entrepreneurs. You know, it's not like Click came before Phoebe. Phoebe's been in the back of the mind for ages. Phoebe stands for for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. It's F-E-B-E. And it was always set apart as being, in my mind, the place we would put the ultimate entrepreneurial content, the, the kind of platform that if you looked on it, your jaw would drop and you'd be like, wow, look at these people that are on this website, you know. Um, it's taken years, Dan, to, to get to the point because we were hustling the person that owned the dot-com for ages, trying to get that. And as you can imagine, for many, many years, it was, uh-uh, uh-uh, don't want to sell it. Um, and then when we did get the dot-com, it was then getting all of the trademarks all around the world done. So we wanted to keep it mothballed and quiet. So the very long answer, Click is, is a content platform which focuses on professionals and entrepreneurs. And Phoebe really is a content platform where we focus on the household names, the entrepreneurs that you know, you will have read about or you'll have heard about because we wanted to create the world's greatest content platform for entrepreneurs with Phoebe. So content is the name of the game. And then on the back of that, we just sell some nice services to people that are interested in content services. That's awesome. So just focusing on the professionals uh, side of it for a moment then. I mean, your background is a fascinating one. I think I'm right in saying that you were the, the youngest ever business development director for EY or something to that effect. That's, that's not a million miles off, is it? Yeah, no, I proudly was. I proudly was back in the day. Been keen to put that on my uh, resume. And then obviously over the years, you've spent lots of time around, you know, some of the UK's most impressive entrepreneurs as well. So so you kind of understand all parts of the the sort of business landscape, the business spectrum. Just looking at the, the professionals for a moment, what would you say were the kind of in 2021, because the landscape has changed a lot, what, what are the kind of two or three traits that when you look at those professionals that are doing really, really exciting things now what are the the kind of unifying characteristics that they share what a great question so dan just to go back on that the business development is kind of where i ended up i actually did many years before that in audit trained with ey um many years spent as an auditor and was given an opportunity by chance to to go into business development and absolutely loved it because you know i was lucky enough to therefore do something that 
that just excited me. You know, business development by the definition for me was learning how to pick up the phone, get in front of new people. Um, and then the whole fun and games of how you then build a relationship. That really was the the start of an obsession with professionals. I think for me, the human side of professionals is so important now. You know, long gone are the days when, you know, you would differentiate someone necessarily or completely through their technical knowledge. I think because we now live in a knowledge economy where people are able to far more freely work out or get access to the facts, that's where the key differentiator for me with professionals is now that it's really about everything else in terms of their ability to really build up a rapport with a client, the ability to be able to take the technical side of what they're talking through with a client and then actually make that so that it comes across in a really authentic, real, almost interesting way. I think it's the way that advice is delivered. I don't think people do want to talk necessarily to technocrats. They want to talk to people who understand and have a very deep understanding of their specialism, but can deliver it in a way that is just real, that has got, you know, some real human aspect behind it, some authenticity, which is why I think it's fascinating how you see so many professionals these days not donning, you know, suits and ties. That for me is unthinkable, really. When I was back in the industry all those years ago, it was always a shirt and tie because that's what we did. We lived up to the cliche. You know, you're an accountant, so, so you dress like an accountant. And, that, and that's just no longer the case now. It's all about the context. It's the ability to, to take that knowledge and be able to deliver it in a way that, um, you know, really brings it to life and in a way that people like and they see that human side of the professional and cliche-free, completely cliche-free. The second thing for me is passion, you know. Now, passion to me is such a cliched word, but if you actually think about the most passionate people you've ever met they don't <laughs> they don't rock up to you shake your hand and say hi my name's john i'm really passionate about what i do um, that's literally what you said to me the first time we met <laughs> well there you go then <laughs> but, i mean listen i i love gordon ramsay um i just think I, I i can watch him with the volume off he's just absolutely wired and this is a guy that never ever needs to announce to you that he's passionate about what he does it's just so obvious and you know, maybe some people, as I'm saying that, you know, saying, well, I don't agree the way he uh, he conveys his passion. I, I don't think that matters. I don't think that's the point. My point is you can just tell he has an infectious passion that hits you between the eyes. You've got to be able to see that when they're talking to you about, you know, the things that excite them, it's just something to experience and, and, and enjoy. So for me, it's it's passion. Let it let it out and just don't hold back. You know, don't be constrained by the cliche of what you think is funny saying the stereotypes of what it's like to be an accountant or a lawyer. They're gone. You know, the, the new breed of superhero professionals these days just own their skin and they uh, they bring it. So that's the second thing. And um, the third thing for me would be the importance of, I think, the importance of culture, Dan. You know, really, really knowing what the values are in the organization and just being the complete personification of those values, living them and eating them and breathing them. I mean, how often do you see values on organizations' websites and they're just the same old, the same old, same old, same old stuff that you read on every other website? I think you're starting to see a uniqueness in terms of how people articulate, you know, what they are as a group of people, what unites them, you know, what is the commonality amongst those people that are the reason why they are, you know, a part of their organization and for me that brings a tangibility again to, to professionals because you understand what they stand for you understand why they do what they do from a personal point of view and from the organization's point of view so i think being able to really articulate that is a great thing 
one of my first impressions of you, or the, the first things that really struck me about uh, the John Baffioli brand was whilst in some respects, you're an incredibly confident person and you'll always put yourself out there. I think like, like most people, you still, you know, you're very honest about, you know, you'll experience some anxiety in this situation, that situation. You don't necessarily think you're like God's gift to everything, but what you've always done is you've never allowed that to be a barrier to you getting stuff done. And I think one of the ways in which that was always so evident to me was your willingness to get on the phone and open up even the, the most tightly shut door. You just had an ability to, I think, partly through your kind of disarming honesty and very kind of self-deprecating manner, you just had an ability to create opportunities out of nothing very often via the telephone. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that for a few minutes. Is that stuff old hat? You know, is it all social media now? Or is there still a role for those people who are able to you know, create that, that cold calling magic. So, well, thank you very much. You said some lovely stuff about me then. I really do appreciate it. Um, you know, just to clear up a few facts on the early stuff, the, the difference between being confident and projecting confidence, I think is a massive thing. I'm crippled with anxiety pretty much every day I wake up. Uh, Self-doubt, which I thought would get better the older I got, but <laughs> seems to be getting worse. Um, so anxiety has always frustratingly been something that has held me back. And I think it's just an absolute determination to not let it hold you back. And do you know what? Learning how to fake it. Because one of my favorite people I've had the, the pleasure to meet is a chap called David Beach, who is the uh, CEO of Knights PLC. And he's, you know, he's built that into a formidable firm. So, such a great person. And it, it always used to make me laugh when he used to say, you know, just imagine you're, you're about to go uh, under the knife uh, to have, have your heart uh, operation and, and, and the consultant pitches up, you know, bumbling and, and looking very worried, anxious, nervous. <laughs> you, don't, you probably don't want that. You want someone to walk in going, right, OK, we're going to be operating in the next couple of hours. This is what we're going to do. These are the risks, you know, but at the end of the day, this is what uh, the primary objective is. This is what we shall do. And we'll see you on the other side. You know, you want that kind of person to come in and you're not going to question, do they actually believe what this It doesn't matter. You just straight away, you're brought into the fact that they are confident and yeah, it wins you over. Um, so I think for me, that was just learn how to project confidence. Even if you don't believe it, just really, it's it's a skill to do because you want people to believe uh, in what you're trying to do. And the, the beauty of that is the more you learn to fake it, the more you start to the more you, do you start to believe it? I don't know. But the more you start to think, well, do you know what? I can do this. I can do this. Yeah. And your mind starts kicking in. I think you get a little bit conditioned to it, don't you? I think yeah. it is not necessarily that you ever fully buy into it. But I think like anything in life, the more that you do something, the easier the kind of setbacks become and, and the more able you are to kind of, you know, shrug the challenges and disappointments. I think certainly that, that's that's it for me, right? Exactly. The more you put yourself in a position where you have to deliver, the more you start to see a track record. It's like you say you were going to do it and therefore you did it. And the thing is, you start to therefore see a track record where you start to go, well, do you know what? I said I was going to do this and, you know, I did it and I did it a second time and a third time. And that for me is where you therefore start to think, right, I can do this. The inner demons in me are telling me I can't, but history proves I can do it. So I'm going to do it. So that for me is confidence. You know, you've got to let the anxiety not be the thing that limits your life and takes you over. And it's how you just start to really um, let that confidence come out in, in spades, um, even if you never really do believe it. So how does that therefore link to cold calling? 
I have so much respect. You, you know, I hate it when people on LinkedIn bash cold callers. I saw it a few weeks ago, someone, you know, saying, oh, I've had this call and blah, blah, blah. And this is how it made me feel. Of course, cold, cold calling done badly is, is awful. No one wants to receive a bad cold call. But when someone who's probably having the door shut on them hundreds of times a day picks you up the phone and you can tell they're smiling and they're trying their best to try and get you to engage with them, you know, first of all, I think show them some damn respect and just talk to them. And and even if it's just no, no interest, thank them for the call and what have you. But my point is, I have a huge amount of respect for people that do that on, on a daily basis. Do I think it is the way to do business these days? No, I do think social media and what have you seems to work because people are short of time and it's very focused and, you know, it seems to be a good way to be able to interact with people. However, I think that we now hide predominantly behind social media and we've stopped picking the phone to talk to people. So I will often, if I can access a number, and there's always a way to, to, to get through to someone, I will always call and just say, look, I'm just about to send an email. This is what I'm going to be putting the email you know, please account for it. It means a lot to me if you just have a look look at it. And if it's no interest, no problem. But, but I think it's a really powerful way to, to differentiate and stand out. I think a cold call done really well is a great thing. But um, but so much respect for the people that do it every single day and slap in the face a hundred times a day. The heroes, good on them. I think, yeah, I mean, a couple of things like that. I mean, I think, first of all, I totally agree. I think it's, it's a bloody difficult thing to do. I um, trained to do cold calling for uh, Next Directory about, 400 years ago and I won the the award in the team that was being trained over this kind of three-day training process and uh, then we actually started and within about seven minutes I walked out the building I just I couldn't do it I couldn't do it I, I just I was having palpitate it was awful um so yeah huge respect for anyone that can um the other thing I would say just um on your second point there is Absolutely. In, in, in something that I often say is in a world of digital saturation, and this might sound like an odd thing for someone who runs a digital agency to say, but, but in a world of digital saturation, often it's the, it's the conventional methods and channels that enable us now to cut through the noise because everyone's on LinkedIn, everyone's on Facebook, everyone's sending out emails and everyone should be doing all these things. But if everybody's doing it, then, then actually those traditional media have become the periphery and it's it's at the periphery where interesting things happen right absolutely it's such a it's such a good point dan you know you've got a cold call then you've got a warm call now i love warm calls let's take an example of a networking event you meet someone that you know someone that you enjoy talking to someone that could be great for business you know both of you could work together why why waste your life sending an email after that you know, if you've exchanged cards and you've got a number, pick up the phone and straight away get dialogue going because nothing beats human dialogue, voice to voice, face to face. It is the most powerful way to start to build a rapport and start to very quickly work out if you like each other. Uh, and if you like each other, you can do business together. So for me, you know, cold call, yes, still a great thing to be able to do a lot less than used to be when it was the only way really that you could get in front of people. Uh, I think it's nice when used in conjunction with all the other routes that we have to get to know people. However, I think a warm call, uh, the minute you've met someone, the challenge, the, the key is to then be able to start to talk and get over the awkwardness of it. Because I think we've all got accustomed to feeling awkward talking to people we don't know well. Um, I think that's just what's happened over the years of digital evolution. We are much less happy speaking to people. I mean, I'm pretty sure my 
brain was was wired that way when I fell out of my mum, sadly. But um, but I yeah, perhaps you're right. Maybe it's been exacerbated by technology. Um, back to professional services. What is it that pisses you off most about the industry? Is there anything in particular that you look at? And it's obviously changed a lot in recent years, but is there anything in particular you look at? And you just want to pull your hair out. You're like, I can't believe that companies, that professionals are still making these same mistakes. I think cliches, they drive me nuts. They drive me absolutely nuts. And I, I still think uh, people use them too freely. You know, I was talking about passion earlier. The amount of times people um, introduce themselves in pitch documents <laughs> or, or whichever way announcing their passion for your business. But uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, cliches drive me crazy. Responsive, proactive, uh, partner-led, all these just yucky corporate guffy words that we see on websites and pitch documents or or when you ask someone to really tell you about them and all of a sudden you get these these horrible cliches spewed out to you. And I think that comes back to my point earlier, which is just be yourself, be human, let, let you out and talk like you would to someone who you're not trying to, you know, you're not worried about putting that that act up. Use and speak freely. So yeah, cliches, cliches drive me absolutely bonkers. I mean, proactive, damn, what does that even mean? Proactive, well, Proactive means you're thinking about your client, even when they're asleep or, you know, even when you're on your own train home, you read something that makes you think of them. That, that's that's proactive. So why not use words like that as opposed to proactive or responsiveness? So um, that drives me crazy. And then linked to the cliches in the corporate guff is the values all the time. The same stuff. I really thought that we were going to move a lot quicker in terms of seeing firms being able to express themselves uh, and use language that really differentiates them by by showing you know that who they are that real real grit yeah that's that's my that's my key frustration dan that's my key frustration awesome awesome um so i wonder from your experience of operating in these two very different worlds right so professionals at one end of the spectrum entrepreneurs at the other maybe over the last 10 years those two worlds have kind of come together a little but but fundamentally still two very distinct uh, parts of the the business community I wonder from your experience what you feel professionals could and should be learning from the entrepreneurial community. Because in a lot of professional service markets, it's these kind of more startup-y, often tech-based organizations that are disrupting and doing interesting things and setting new standards. And established traditional professional service companies can just watch it and react and hope not to become obsolete. Or they can actually try and maybe learn some of those lessons and try and get ahead of that activity. Um, I just wonder what your thoughts are on that. And, and, and if, if you think there's something in it, what might be a couple of the things that professionals or professional service companies could learn from those more startup-y, entrepreneurial type businesses? What a great question. I love that. Um, and I think there are certain things that really are very unique to the entrepreneurial mindset. The first one is the fearlessness of certain entrepreneurs. And what I mean by that is I find the, uh, the entrepreneurs that we interview just incredible people. I just can't help but be knocked out by the courage, the persistence, the, uh, you know, the, the doubters, the people that don't think that or, or advise that maybe this isn't a good idea, what you're doing, etc. There's a lot of very heroic characteristics that make entrepreneurs beautiful people to get to know and interview. And most importantly, to be able to really open your mind and open your ears to what they're telling you and learn from it. 
Um, and, and for me, I, I think the fearlessness is one. Now, what, what I'm not saying is that all entrepreneurs do not experience fear. What I'm saying is that I think they embrace the fear and realize that actually they don't have a choice to allow the fear to, to, to hold them back, to stop them. What I'm saying is the ability to, to realize that there are some major challenges ahead, but they have just got to get through them. They have got to knock down walls and they have got to get to that end destination because failure is not an option. Failure is not an option. They've got to do everything that they physically can in their power uh, to get through a certain situation and out to the end. And for me, I think that that's a a great lesson for professional services organisations, which is to sometimes stop allowing themselves to be managed by consensus. You know, everybody's opinion, slowing the process down, um, you know, have conviction. Stop thinking of a thousand reasons why not to do something and focus on the one. Yeah, get everybody behind that one reason. Talk about it, you know, agonize over it. And then once you made it your mind, you go for it. You go for it, hell for leather. And and if there are obstacles, you just got to deal with them. Um, and I think the persistence, that's just, which is which is related very much to what I was saying just then with the fearlessness. It's the persistence of these people that is just sensational. It's just beautiful to see just the determination, dogged determination to to achieve that end goal. When you think of a lot of the entrepreneurs, how much they've had to hustle, how much they've had to hustle to get their product known, to get their brand out there, to get people listening, hearing to them, to get customers buying their products or their services. Uh, I think the art of the hustle is is a mindset. Um, And again, I think that hunger and that ambition is something that uh, sometimes is lacking in the professional services industry. What about from a business model, from a commercial perspective? Because obviously a lot of these entrepreneurial businesses, these kind of tech startups, they they just fundamentally, they're structured very, very differently. And they're in a position where they can afford to have maybe certain non-commercial metrics by which they measure their success, particularly during the early phases. That a at a traditional you know partnership, for example, it just would never fly, right? They they've spent 30, 40 years climbing the greasy pole. And now is their time to, you know, make hay while the sun shines. And they may only have five years to do that. So I'm oversimplifying it. But if they don't take that profit out today while they've got the opportunity, they've missed their chance. For a, a more entrepreneurially minded business, they might focus on, on, you know, what they might call like a North Star or a sort of headline metric that has nothing to do with revenue or profit for those first few years. It's just anathema to, to the way that a professional service company runs. I just wonder if, if you have any kind of thoughts on that, I guess, more from a kind of business model point of view. Well, it's again, Dan, what a great observation. And, uh, you, you know, you, you bang on. I think the key thing there, the, the observation is the difference between short term and long term thinking. You know, short term thinking is being absolutely paranoid about what is that profit figure going to be at the end of the year? Because that's basically that's the, that's the carrot. That's what we all want. And the higher that figure is, then great. And I think the long-term thinking, especially when you've got so many more metrics that are helping to point towards that end destination when you've made it, is thinking about some of these tech businesses, for example. The whole decision-making process completely changes because it's not about profit. It's it, it could be about followers. It could be about something completely different. But by focusing on those metrics that ultimately are going to keep on building value, long-term, medium, long-term value in the business, the profit will come, hopefully. Um, And when it does come, it comes in a big way. And as a result, the decision making process, the people that we hire, the things that we invest in, um, you know, some of the really ballsy projects that we're going to have a crack at to to ultimately transform the way that we deliver our service to clients. 
becomes completely transformed as a result of a long-term thinking strategy. So I think short-termism versus long-termism is a fundamental thing that, uh, as you rightly say, can, with these entrepreneurial businesses, really set them apart from conventional uh, profit-focused models. So yeah, cracking question, Dan. And I think one of the key things, short versus long-term thinking. Awesome. I just want to finish on a slightly different one then. So I always admire and enjoy your your honesty. So I'm going to hope that you're going to be really honest in your answer here. What, what's the biggest, most excruciating mistake you've ever made in one of these environments? Uh, there have been many. Um, there have been many. And, you know, the older you get, Dan, and the more life delivers certain very cruel things to you, I'm proud to say it's one of the things that I've really started to actually adopt and practice, which is you learn from it and you move on. Uh, I used to spend so much energy worrying about the mistakes I'd made, um, hating myself, loathing myself for the fact, how could I have done this? How could I have been so stupid? Uh, And I think the minute you start embracing them and then making sure that you put systems in place to make sure they don't happen again, you're able just to back them off, apologize profusely if that's what's needed um, and, and move on. So, oh, blimey, in, at the beginning, I think some of the most excruciating things were, so I, <laughs> I got a date wrong, a complete date wrong for an introductory meeting with a massive prospect that I worked really hard to um, set up. And, you know, when I think about how stupid this is, I just didn't think to confirm the meeting the day before. And what had happened is about a week earlier, I'd just, I'd gone and put the day before for the meeting. To which the, the prospect had just looked at that and thought, oh, I, I thought it was the, the, the 13th. It must be me that's got it, got it wrong. I'll put it in my diary now. It's the 12th. So, you know, something like that. So as a result, I just rock up with a very prepared team. You know, we'd done uh, an hour and a half, two hours before getting ready for the meeting, practicing the questions that might come out of it. Um, traveled an hour and a half to uh, completely the wrong day. So that was excruciating. How I, why I didn't think to send uh, confirmation emails even send diary invites, I'm afraid, you know, is, is beyond me. But that, that was back in the early day. In, in excitedness for picking up, just picking up the phone, you have to get yourself so wound up to pick up that phone. Um, I couldn't remember whether Mr. Smith's name was David or John. So I picked up the phone and said, oh, can I speak to um, Mr. Smith, please? To which, you know, having worked so hard to get through to uh, the person's secretary, it was, uh, okay, which, which one? And I was just like, oh my gosh, there's more than, there's more than one Smith. You're kidding me. It's a family business. There's four Smiths. So, so then I just started plucking names out. I mean, honestly, and I'm just crying inside of a house. I mean, needless to say, I basically had the phone put down on me. And so that was, re- so basically so many stupid things. It's um, unbelievable. Getting just hysterics, talking to people at uh, networking events. Someone once said their surname to me in a very interesting way. I knew exactly how it spelt and how it sounded, but the way, the way they pronounced it was completely different. And this person was a big deal in an organization. You could tell by their badge, the CEO of a, a great business. And I was just hysterics by their, when they pronounce their surname. So, so yeah, I've done, I've done some pretty stupid stuff, but um, I'm glad to say that I've learned from them and don't allow, allow them to, to happen again. And, uh, you know, if mistakes do happen, just, just get, get on with it and make sure you don't do it again. Nice. Nice. No, I, I, you know what? I think I can beat you. Actually, I was going to refrain from sharing any, but I, I, I think I can. I think I can definitely beat you. So, um, I think around the time that we first met, you remember, remember we we held an event in Leicester. That was when we'd known each other for about a year. But just around the time we first met, um, we held a very similar event in Leicester. It was basically the the 
um, exactly the same format, but just the one that occurred uh, right, the previously. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. The city rooms. Um, and uh, I, uh, there were about 130 people there, um, including my dad and my sister randomly, and my brother-in-law, uh, and then lots of kind of you know pillars of the local business community. <laughs> um, and thankfully, yeah. I don't think you were there, but I, um, I'd spent so long helping everyone else with their slides that I had somewhat neglected mine. And and I'd always been a big fan of, of uh, I once heard this thing like uh, bullet points kill kittens or something, right? In reference to slide presentations, the idea being that you should basically make them very visual, avoid bullet points at all costs. So I did that and I, and I had the most beautifully visual uh, slide deck. The trouble was when I started it in front of however many, 120, 130 people, very, very nervous, um, I immediately forgot what the first slide meant. It was just a picture. And I, I couldn't for the life of me think what it meant. So I, I went on to the next slide in the hope that it triggered a thought, and it didn't. Um, so I went on to the slide after that. By the, this point, it was about 12 seconds of silence stood in front of uh, a large number of, of quite confused people. So I went back a few slides and, and sort of started again. Still nothing. By this point, it's probably been about 20 seconds, right? And I feel like my fucking brain is leaking out of my ears. And I basically just introduced the next person and I went and sat down. And I had spent months organizing this event, getting everyone in the room, like bigging it up. I mean, what a dickhead. So yeah, anyway, I, I definitely win that conversation. Oh, mate. you know, I do actually remember it. And uh, I, uh, I remember just thinking how well you styled it out when you realized the mistake you'd made earlier. So I thought you did a great job there, mate. That definitely is not honest. If you were there, you would know just how, how tragic it was, it was styled. Oh, sorry. I just got to say one more. Uh, whilst we're at it, biggest balls up ever was um, speaking at a conference and two competitors had invited me to speak. Right. So just as a joke, I thought to myself, oh, I've just got to make sure that I don't um, <laughs> put the other competitors logo anywhere in the slide deck. Right. So um, lo and behold, I get up to speak. It must have been about 300, 400 people in the room. It looks massive because everyone's at a table. So as you can imagine, those 300, 400 people then feel like 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 because it's just so spread out uh, amongst this massive auditorium. And the one slide I had not checked like an absolute muppet was the very first slide. And on the very first slide was their biggest competitor's logo. So that was a lesson in disaster recovery. You know what it's like, the sweats, the hot flutters. You feel like you just want to disappear. You feel like that's it, you've ruined it. But I had a 45-minute slot, so I didn't have a choice. I've just got to, I've just got to get over this quickly. Um, so to this day, actually, that is the most excruciating because you could just hear the gasp inside of people when they uh, you know, saw their hated competitor's logo. So do you know what, Dan? That is amazing. Some more embarrassing than I care to admit, to be honest. That is amazing. Well, so, so I'm just going just gonna to wrap up with one that actually will put all of ours into some perspective. It's a chap that you and I both know, but I'm not going to mention his name. Uh, once started a presentation in front of a um, very large brand, uh, household brand, lots of senior decision makers, and um, opened up his laptop. On the enormous projector uh, behind him appeared a, uh, a page from Pornhub. No. Um, and he just had to carry on. <laughs> He just had to carry on. So I will, I will, I will disclose the name of that individual to you after this. Oh, that's um, that's that's, that's, um, anyway, oh, that's making me feel so, itchy with just the uncomfortableness of that. Oh, there's, there's there's always there's always there's always somebody in a worse position. There's always somebody in a worse position. There we go. Well, look, 
John, thank you so much for this. Uh, it's been tons of fun, as I knew it would be. Um, really, really enjoyed it. Uh, learned loads. And um, yeah, some really, really challenging ideas there, particularly, I think, around the sort of some of those more traditional methods and cold calling and, and actually like some of those those good old techniques. They just they don't really go anywhere. They don't really die. And as you say, I think as in the professional world, we start to kind of lose some of the bullshit and just be ourselves. I think if anything, some of those methods may become more more impactful than ever. So um, really, really enjoyed it. Hey, Dan, I've got to say, I, le- I learned some of, the biggest, some of the biggest things I've learned in my life. One was from Mike Harris, who was the founder of First Direct and Aker, we both know, who was always talks about, you know, be very clear about what you want to be famous for. Let that be your brand. Let that be the thing that people know. So that was great. And then with, with you, it was just learning that join to that is just the consistency of, of how that message, how that ultimate vision is then consistently broadcast across all the different platforms. And to that day, that always stands in my head that everything's got to be consistent and brings together. And I, and I thank you enormously for that because that's really helped me in, enormously in business. So, um, so I've never had a chance to thank you for that. So thank you. Oh, well, I'm pleased. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's very good. Um, <laughs> I, can't, I, I, can't, I can't remember saying it, but it sounds brilliant. It's probably someone else. Um, Brilliant. Well, John, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, Yeah, take care. Really, really appreciate it. Thanks, Dan. Lovely to talk to you, mate.